And so our reading for today comes to us from Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 5 and then jumping over to verse 21 as we hear the continuation of what we began last week within worship. And so these 12 disciples Jesus sent out instructing them. And he instructs them, brother will deliver brother over to death. And, his fa- and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you that you will not, not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, and a servant is not above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house house Beelzebul, is that how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, that I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, that I will also deny before the Father who is in heaven. This is the word. Uh, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. But I have to say that when I get to the end of chapters like that, it's always difficult sometimes for me to say, this is the gospel of the Lord. That I don't know if you found yourself a little bit uncertain of, where's the good news in that? That as Jesus begins to speak about brother turning over brother, is that as father, his son, and children rising against parents, as it talks about those who indeed may kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And then it ends with these words that this, this is the good news of the Lord. I get a little bit nervous when I start hearing those things. So what is it that Jesus is saying to us? See, we began this sermon series of the plans and the promises of Jesus for his church. That we've already heard that call of Matthew, the tax collector, that reminds us that all are welcome, all are invited, that even those who are far off are drawn near, that has God forgives our past, abides with us in our present, and indeed plans our wonderful future ahead. 
that then the second week we heard from that very calling of the disciples as Jesus prayed that God would raise up workers for the harvest field as he as that good shepherd saw the very needs of the people and indeed he called the twelve and then sent them. That it reminds us of that fact that Jesus sees our need. That he raises up the compassionate and caring concerns of others. And that he sends us with that very mission. The very mission that he had for us. That we might be reconciled to the Father. And is that not what he has done for us upon the cross? And so we think about what it is that we're called as a church to be those who are welcoming and caring, to be those who find themselves seeing with eyes of compassion, with eyes of mission, of seeing what it is that God has done for us, that it may be the very fuel, the very power of how we live for others. But today, today we get some difficult words some hard words, some worrying and concerning words. That Jesus comes today and begins to lay out the very facts that are there. That Jesus doesn't shy away from telling and talking about the truth of what there is ahead of us. That the Christian life, the Christian life is not an easy one. That it is not one who in, that is simply better because we have come to faith. See, expectations are funny things. That many times we might expect that the more faithful we become, that the better our lives should be. Is that the closer we draw near to God, that the easier our life should be. That sometimes we think, that if I'm doing my part, that shouldn't God be doing his part? As if somehow the only reason that we follow the Lord, the only reason that we worship the Lord, as if the only reason were that we might get, that we might gain, that we may be able to manipulate and work the system in our favor. That we know that the world is hard and difficult. We know that there are many that find themselves aligned against the very truth, the very grace, the very goodness of Jesus, is that we know that this world is broken by sin. That too often we are surprised. (laughs) We're surprised when sin is found in the church. We're surprised when scandals happen. We're surprised when hypocrisy is revealed. We're surprised by these things. But didn't Jesus tell us that these things would be? That didn't Jesus remind us? And doesn't the word remind us all over the place that we will still have this sinful flesh until the Lord comes and gives us that new resurrection, that new restoration, and that new creation of things to come, that then we will finally be done with sin. But we still struggle, we still strive, and we still live in a world that has been broken by sin. And so when we expect that things are going to be somehow different, (laughs) is that we come to realize that things aren't always as we would have them or how we would want them. 
that when we begin to expect one thing and get another, it's difficult for us to grapple with. So what does Jesus do? That right up front, with all of the not-so-small and fine print at the end of that very, uh, very connection, as he invites us and calls us and sends us, he reminds us that things will not always go our way, that there will be resistance, that there will be persecution for those who follow him faithfully, that Jesus comes to us today and reminds us of that very fact, that not only did they do it to him, (laughs) but they threatened it to us. That the disciples, I don't think, had any idea of what that quite fully meant. That when they were first being called and sent with these words, they did not know of just the response that would happen to Jesus. That when Jesus says those very words, that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the the master of the house Beelzebul, which is an old, you know, fancy way of basically just saying of the house of the devil, (laughs) is that if they've called the very master of the house this evil satanic foe, then what will they say of those who follow him? That isn't it evil itself that begins to twist, begin to turn, begin to change that which is good and to somehow make it sound bad. That what did they do to our master? That they rejected him. They beat and spit upon him. They crucified him. And yet, as much as they might think that they were somehow bending him to their will, that Jesus knew. He knew that this was the Father's will. That the Father's will was that Jesus would go to the cross, that Jesus would offer himself, that Jesus would find himself taking our place, taking our death, taking our punishment, so that we might have that we might have his gifts, his grace, his blessing, his righteousness, his care, his very status and standing in the house of God. Then Luther talked about it as the beautiful exchange, that all that is ours, all of the sin and the stubbornness and the pains and the problems and the issues, that Jesus takes them upon himself. And all that he has for us, that he so freely gives of his very blessing and righteousness and care and promise and all that is there for that future and that hope and that peace to come. But it doesn't mean that this life of discipleship is an easy one. That I still remember one Bible commentary, you know, talking about this idea. He said, I still remember visiting a foreign, you know, foreign you know, country on the midst of a mission trip. And there in the midst of this marketplace, I saw crosses being sold with a sign next to it said, cheap crosses for sale. 
the Bible commentator who puts it this way, is that too often, isn't that what Christians look for? Those cheap crosses, those places that it will not cost us, it will not bring us pain or persecution or problems, that we want an easy and comfortable life. But what does it mean? that Jesus says to us, take up your cross and follow me. That Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who found himself ministering to many in the midst of Nazi Germany, is that as he continued to stand in resistance and opposition to those who so often not only either ignored the church or twisted it to its purposes, its plans for its own evil schemes, is that Bonhoeffer and others remained faithful and true. That Bonhoeffer wrote a book entitled The Cost of Discipleship, that he puts it this way, that cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace, on the other hand, is that treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has, that he might buy it. That costly grace is that pearl of great price, to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's that kingly rule of Jesus Christ, whose forsake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus, which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. That costly grace is this. It is the very gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It's a grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life possible. Is that above all, it is costly because it costs God his one and his only son, that ye were bought with a price. And what has God has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And so as we stop to think about what are Christ's plans and promises for us, that what do we hear even in the midst of these difficult words and texts? That we hear Jesus again speaking his promises, speaking his reminders. That what does he keep saying to us? That do not fear. Do not fear those who may persecute or slander or even may evil, even be able to bring punishment or pain. For they are not the ones. They are not the ones who hold ultimate authority and power over you. Is that he says, do not be afraid. Is that fear not, therefore, for even the very heads of your head, the hairs of your head are all numbered. That you are of more value than sparrows. And yet one, one sparrow does not fall to the ground without the knowledge of the Father. 
that God knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, that he has every plan, every promise, every purpose, then what is his greatest desire? That you may acknowledge him before others, that you may see this costly grace that cost him everything, and that it might so excite you, ignite you, enthuse you that you might say, that I am willing to give up anything that I may have Christ and him crucified for me. For I know that this life, this life is but a temporary and passing thing, that this pain that we might experience, it may be short-lived. But in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, is that the very glory that awaits us is not even the sufferings that we now undergo are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That we have a hope, we have a plan, we have a promise from God that not only does he know the hairs on your head, not only does he know the days of your life, not only does he hold you now in his loving and protective hand, but he is the one who promises to give you that gift that when you face that problems and those persecutions, that he knows that when you acknowledge him before others, that he will continue to always acknowledge you before his father. That he is the one who has a reason to speak and say, fear not for I am with you. That may we continue to follow our Lord. May we continue not to settle for cheap crosses or cheap grace, to not simply seek simple comfort, but may we seek the comfort that comes down from heaven, the very peace that calms restless hearts. That may we rejoice that Jesus Christ is ours and that we are his. Amen.